When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast has a Patreon page. Several wonderful people have signed up to support this endeavor. They are Sean Poole, Dave and Jennifer Evers, Jeff Omar, my John Hyatt sister, Sylvan, Liz Brunson, Yetta, Steve Vansack, Randy Brown, Rob Barnett, Bella Pori, John Munson, Betsy Hodges, Levi Petrie, Stephen Malio, Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, Chris Bloom, Dale Hosack, Music Talks Terry Smith, and Mary Thomas. I appreciate all the love and support from these wonderful friends. If you want to support the podcast and get unedited episodes, often in video, occasional posts from me about a wide range of subjects, a thank you on at least one episode a month, plus a handwritten thank you note that includes set listing through stickers, then please go to patreon.com setlustingbruce. That's right. Go to patreon.com slash setlustingbruce and you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. Now, on with the show. We stayed up. And I'll tell you, when I got off of that shift, he and I sat there next to each other in this wet grass, in our wet clothes, wearing, we'll call it body armor. We had our weapons. Our feet are soaked or at least damp enough to be in wet socks. And we just smell like moldy people. And I got to watch the sunrise come up over the forest in Thailand with a little canteen cup filled with instant coffee, which tasted just about as metallic as the cup. And it, it was the coolest, probably first time at least, coolest moment I had in the Marine Corps where everything stopped and just exhaled for a second it was even just from my perspective appreciation and gratitude hit me nobody gets this except maybe Thai people that live there right but like a totally different experience for me and and I think it's opportunities like that that as we all go through that stuff together various points in our careers you could be in 18 years talk to somebody who's been in for six months everybody gets it
Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train with my fellow podcaster, Josh Porthouse. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks. I I appreciate the opportunity, man. I think it's going to be pretty cool. I think so, too. So tell us about yourself. Sure. So like you said, fellow podcaster, right? So I'll start there. So I've got a podcast called Transacting Value. And my regular day job in the Marine Corps has taken me all over the world. Uh, I've been able to take part in what we call combat deployments, actual kinetic type deployments, uh, humanitarian deployments, where we just go around, help people. But I've spent most of my career in the infantry. And for anybody, any of your listeners who are unfamiliar, I didn't know what I was getting into when I started. Physically, I was unprepared. I think the recruiters did as good a job as they could, but I wasn't, in hindsight, strong enough physically. And going through some of that, plus I went to college, but I don't really consider college being away from home because there's still like a safety net there. Sure. So I'd never really even been away from home by the time I enlisted. So there was all of those social isms to work through. And I graduated my high school class. I was one of 15. So I wasn't really accustomed to working with people either. Yeah. And so over the course of my career and deployments and working in other countries and dealing with other cultures, more recently in the last couple of years, my career is veered towards training Marines and sailors on how to work and prepare for cultural nuances, communication considerations in a training environment, and then also deployed, and then how to adjust and deal with stress on the way back. And what does your perspective actually sound like when you try to vocalize it and work with other people? And so through all of those experiences, uh, I guess you could say transacting value became an idea, and then obviously eventually a podcast. What I didn't realize I had such a strong leaning on in that process and arguably, which has maybe aside from math, the biggest universality around the world to communicate culture was music. And so trying to, trying to find ways to work with people from other cultures through a language barrier with or without an interpreter, but through a language barrier to accomplish whatever we had to tactically was one thing, but humanity, the, the human factor of what we were trying to accomplish, maybe you're familiar or any of your listeners with this Hearts and Minds campaign 20 years ago and some other developments from there, but that's totally different. You can only shoot, move and communicate to get so many lines across effectively before it's ineffective and it's unsustainable. And I found one of the biggest things that I had to reconcile with in my head was, who was I? What did I bring to the table? What were my influences? What did shape my perspective? What were my values? And I think somewhere in there is the shorter answer to your question that I'm not really sure how to introduce myself in a succinct way, because one thing that I've found throughout my life to this point, and I'm not that old, I'm 36 in case anybody's listening and not watching, but one of the things that I've found in my life so far is whatever baggage we drag with us, good, bad, indifferent, our fault, somebody else is causing, whatever. It 
stays there. Yeah. We have to deal with that and how we express it. I think I've got now a little bit more of a creative leaning and ability to do that. But I've also found a way to bring a little travel kit of all my baggage with me. Sure. And I think that's where I sit comfortably now. I've, who am I? I've found a way to express who I am in ways that I wasn't really sure of or even comfortable with years ago. And now I am. Right. So I'm just growing through life as I go. Why did you want to be a Marine? Man, the last person that asked me that was the recruiter. And he said, write it on this index card. So the days and the nights that you forget, you can look at it. I have no idea where that card's at now. Yeah. I have no idea what happened to that card. But I can tell you with 100% certainty when I first enlisted, I didn't really care. It was something to do. And I thought it'd be fun. I didn't really have any goals. Did you just did it? Was it the allure of instead of the the Marines, the few were the proud, the brave versus campaign going Air Force, Army, Navy? Is that is that part of the allure? Yeah, for a lot of people. Sure. Yeah. It, well, it really wasn't for me. I just it didn't wasn't know. for you. OK, no, it just happened just, to be the recruiting door you went through. As trivial as it sounds, yeah. And and I think a lot of what I saw in the videos and a lot of what I saw in the brochures and heard stories from the recruiter, it, it just appealed to me because it was not normal, not because it was harder. And, and and somewhere in that mess, I think I just gravitated more heavily to the chaos, not to the driving factors or to the resonance behind it. It's changed over time, but that's where it started. His- The reason I ask is I find that when I read people's bios or their blurbs, that often people who are formal Marines make that a point of in there. Ed Bark is a retired Dallas Morning News writer, TV critic. He's been on my podcast a couple of times. Just great guy. And he, in his bio, mentions that he was a Marine. That has nothing to do with TV reporting, nothing to do with TV critting, but it is part of the bio that he is proud to share. And I don't know if you get as much if someone like serving in the Coast Guard or in the the Air Force or Army or even the National Guard. So I just didn't know if that if you've thought about that. And as you mentioned, you are going to the next phase in your life. Will you do you think that'll be part of your persona that I'm a former Marine? One hundred percent. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I don't think that I'll be somebody that's going to hang out at the VFW and swap war stories. But what the Marine Corps has done for me. Yeah. As a person and allowed me to do to grow up on my own. And then as part of a team in terms of training deployments, man, it's redefined my perspective on humanity. Uh And I couldn't be more grateful for those experiences. And because of that, I'm extremely proud of having gone what I have gone through. So I wouldn't shortchange it. And then the second point, though, to say, I guess more semantics, but to say a former Marine or to say an ex-Marine for that reason, it doesn't 
leave, the job title does, the role changes, obviously, because you're not always doing that forever. But it's not really that that yeah. you've cultivated. That's what pays your salary, right? That's what gets sure. you through a work day, so to speak. But it's the human factor. It's growing and developing and interpreting what's happening around us. And then our ability, in my experience, to do that with all of the other Marines around us, we're all going through the same stuff. And it's really oftentimes always pretty shitty. And to get through that, whatever that is, but to get through that and know that there's somewhere around 180,000 other people actively still doing it, plus retired or I've gotten out or whatever. I'll tell you this. It's also been, in my experience, the people that get out and complain after one contract or however many during that they stay in, that get out, are generally the ones who are most supportive after the fact. And I've got a working theory for that, of the Marine Corps, and I've got a working theory for that. When you're in, it's real easy. And, and I'm not even going to say this applies to just the military explicitly. When you're dealing with something that that bothers you physically, emotionally, mentally, behaviorally, whatever, you're dealing with something that bothers you, and you start gravitating towards pain on that scale, it's tough to think about anything else and distract yourself. Now, <laughs> times that by maybe four to six years, at least your first contract, right? Okay. So there's a lot to complain about. But after the fact, it's stress. It's stress, I think. That's what it comes down to. And so once you process that stress or decompress somehow, sometimes it's while you're in, like what happened in my case. Sometimes it's after you get out, like what happens in a lot of other cases. But you process that stress and you find ways to just vent it out. There's a lot that's really cool about the Marine Corps, and it's tough to shake. I've had friends get out after two years, after four years, some at around 10, and then some that have retired yeah. by now in my career as well. And they all say the same thing, almost word for word. It was great, not because of the circumstances, but because of the people. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. One of the things that this reminds me of is when you hear an interview with a former pro athlete and they will almost always say that, yeah, the salary was really nice. The competitiveness was there because they wanted to be a competitor. But what they can't duplicate is the camaraderie of that locker room that yeah. clubhouse yeah. that place you can't and once even once you retire you can go back and visit but you're not there in the same uh, way yeah. it's just not no. is it i'll give you no i'm assuming i don't know yeah I yeah no that, yet, yeah right? but, if we put it in terms of being the marine right yeah yeah and i'll even give you an example and this may not mean anything to anybody i don't know maybe it means everything to some people but to me it means quite a bit yeah so I was in Thailand in, oh, I don't know, 2011, I think okay. it was. And it was, it was not for a long time, yeah. for a relatively short period of time. I think it was only for a few days for a training exercise. Mm -hmm. And we had walked, I don't even know how far, because we landed on the shore in the middle of the night and then just walked inland to somewhere. And decided at some point, all right, everybody, we're going to bed down here. We're going to set up, which really just meant take your pack off and then put your head on your pack. Take your boots right. off if you've got time. It wasn't anything fancy, but right, like I said, I was in the infantry at the time during this particular, I guess you'd call it movement. And we did. It had to have been two, three in the morning. And we'd been up the whole day prior getting there. Sure. I was relatively early on in my career and they said, all right, obviously all the new guys are going to be on what we call fire watch. And it's not a mysterious concept. It just means your eyes are burning and you're trying to keep watch. We, you stay awake while everybody else sleeps and you're the first line of defense, so to speak. And so we rotated through that. And I don't know exactly what it was. Let's just say every hour you wake up the next guy or the next two guys. Sure enough, we go to bed around two or three and I'm on the list, right? And we get up at five or six to start the day because the sun's up. You can't stay there and do nothing. So Naturally, I got put somewhere in the middle of that three to four hour window. So you don't really sleep much, plus adrenaline, plus stress, your mind's racing, but physically you're smoked and yeah. you're wet from sweating the whole time and you just mold in your own funk. So I laid down, took my boots off. The grass was already wet. The dew had set. Like I said, this was Thailand, so it was relatively tropical. Yeah. And you pass out at some point. I got woken up, which I was pretty sure was fake. Turned out it was real, that kind of delirious. And I get up, start walking around. <laughs> There's another guy. He got woken up and we were on a two-man team, just wandering around while everybody was sleeping, keeping an eye out. Yeah. And you got to have time to get up and get dressed. And so nothing's dried off yet. You put your boots back on and they're still wet. Your socks aren't dry. And I remember vividly, the only thing I could think about was, what am I doing here? This is miserable. It was, I was wet enough to be chilly. It was hot enough to be uncomfortable. 
It was humid enough to be tough to breathe. And we're walking. And I remember I looked down at my feet just as a force of habit. And he was standing next to me and we were walking and talking about something. And then I swear I just blinked and I look up and he's a couple steps in front of me. And I thought that was weird. Whatever. I misplayed something or other. And he looks back and he's, dude, you coming? I said, yeah, I must have just, I was looking at something on the ground or whatever I made up, right? I wasn't even thinking straight. I get up next to him. We walk a couple more steps. And I swear, I just blinked and I look up and he's a couple steps in front of me again. And he turns back and I remember he started laughing at me. He said, dude, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, what are you talking about? I don't know. I'm just walking slower yeah. than you. He said, yeah, all right, whatever. So I catch up to him a couple steps. And this all happens within the span of probably a few seconds. I don't really know. Yeah. And I look up. He's a few steps in front of me. He said, are you sleeping right now? I don't know, man. I have not. My brain was just shutting off these yeah. micro naps, right? Physiologically, totally out of my control while I was walking. So on top of everything else, and then obviously couldn't think straight, couldn't go back to sleep. If you've got, say you break it into hours, the second to last watch shift, you're not really sleeping the last one. You just yeah. start cleaning up everything. So you end up staying up twice as long. So we stayed up. And I'll tell you, when I got off of that shift, he and I sat there next to each other in this wet grass, in our wet clothes, wearing what we'll call the body armor. We had our weapons. Our feet are soaked or at least damp enough to be in wet socks. And we just smell like moldy people. Yeah. And I got to watch the sunrise come up over the forest in Thailand with a little canteen cup filled with instant coffee which tasted just about as metallic as the cup. Sure. And it, it was the coolest, probably first time at least, coolest moment I had in the Marine Corps where everything stopped and just exhaled for a second. It was, even just from my perspective, appreciation and gratitude hit me. Nobody gets this, except maybe Thai people that live there, right? But like a totally different experience for me. And, and I think it's opportunities like that, that as we all go through that stuff together, various points in our careers, you could be in 18 years, talk to somebody who's been in for six months. Everybody gets it. Where else do you find that? Not when you come back, you're too far out removed. Sure. But yeah, it, it changes a lot, for sure. Thanks. I, yeah. I appreciate you letting me go off on that tangent. Josh, I always like to start at the beginning. Talk about, you mentioned a very small school. Where did you grow up and what kind of music were you listening to as a child? What were your family listening to? Dude, okay. Two parts to that. One, my parents divorced when I was young, probably four years old. Okay. So the types of music that I grew up with almost circumvented around which household I was in on sure. any given day or week, right? Yeah. So I... I was born in Clearwater, Florida, basically grew up more formatively in Lake County, a little further north. Okay. But growing up, though, to that point, we would see dad on the weekends. And if we were driving, he had, a, I think, 86 Blazer. Okay. And if we were driving in, in his truck and it was during the day, we were fixing to go to the tackle shop or go fishing or whatever. It was talk radio. He that was it. Mm -hmm. But if he had just picked us up from mom's, it was totally different. Now, I guess yeah. we'll call it classic rock, but all things considered, it's just rock and roll. And that was it. Yeah. From, man, Elvis to Hendrix to 
I'd even say Elton John. We had Hall and Oates, right? 60s, 70s type stuff. But that was his vibe because that's when he was a teenager. That's where he grew up. Right. And so that's all he played. Mom's was a bit different. She, as far back as I can remember, we listened to 92.3 or 93.7, which were country stations. And in the early 90s, mid 90s, it was classic country, like country gold, 50s, 60s type country. And then, I don't know, I'd say 93, 94, towards later into the mid 90s, everything shifted in country music as a genre. And so not quite any crossovers till after the 2000s. So I don't know what you'd call it. Rockabilly, maybe. Okay. But the, the country music genre shifted. But you went from like Southern rock influences in country. And you went from sort of Appalachian country, gospel country type influences in country to, I think, more predominantly what you would hear with Keith Urban, Billy Ray Cyrus, which arguing are a little bit more pop than they are Dwight Yoakam and Hank Williams Jr. But all of that in its entirety, as far as country goes, that's what we had when we were at Mom's. And I think I got a little bit of both of those in terms of influence. I got, (laughs) I guess what you would consider country heartache and passion at at Mom's. And I guess you tie that in with Catholic guilt trips and it was a real rousing household. Uh, and then we would go to dad's and it was a little bit more about, man, I guess you'd call it unity, self-representation, authenticity, right? These things that we were getting out of the rock industry from the 70s and the 80s, like who Grand Funk Railroad, Steppenwolf, I guess it was more in the 80s. But these types of influences that were a little bit more, yeah. I, I don't know what the word is, seeking identity and, and finding a place and creating your space type vibes. Yeah. Yeah. So between the two, man, it was a dichotomy though. But I'll tell you this, over the last 30 years, taking both of those, and now I like reggae and I like, I don't know, Christian songs, some of them, not a lot, some Christian songs. I like classical music. Everything's got its place. Jazz, big jazz fan. But between those two is where I always come back to. I'm working on my podcast or I'm editing or or writing or whatever. and, And there's a classic country playlist in the background. Yeah. It's not really anything else. Or I've got uh, Blackfoot and 38 Special in the background. Yeah. And, and I find that's where I feel more comfortable. I feel maybe more secure, more at home. It's like growing up on the beach, closer to dad's house than mom's. She was more central in the state. Every time we would go towards dad's house, I knew, even if I was taking a nap or whatever in the car on the drive down, I knew we were getting close. I could smell salt water. I could hear seagulls. I knew the bait shop was nearby or which gas stations we would go to in the mornings to get hot chocolate or honey buns or whatever. And I think a lot of that stuff materialistically is like spiritually what country and I'll call it classic rock have become for me musically. Yeah. It just feels better. Yeah, I totally do. My, I often joke, my parents listened to both kinds of music, country and Western Growing up, right? The old Blue Brothers, Blues Brothers joke. Merle Haggard, Hank Williams Sr., Marty Robbins, Charlie yeah, Pry, Wagner, all these yeah, guys, yeah, Porter Wagner, all of these. Hee Haw, just it was, and Johnny Cash. Later, my dad discovered Willie Nelson and loved his music. And so hearing classic country music as you're talking about that, that, that 
during the Nashville Sound, Jim Reeves and all these different things brings me home. And then I guess like living in Texas, like everyone, you went through a phase where Garth Brooks ruled the airways, right? He just, yeah. he was everywhere. And so I get that. It it brings me home. Like when every, I remember we were in the car and they were playing Daddy Frank, the guitar man. And I started singing and my wife was like, how the hell do you know this song? That's in my roots. It's in my blood. Yeah. Right. There's some songs that are just a bit more sticky too, though. Yeah. Like Dominic the Donkey. Yeah. Are you familiar with that one? You know, sure. more folk type song. Yeah. Um, that one, I, I don't even know when the first, probably my stepdad, I think one holiday season we played it or something. But yeah, now it it just is. It's a staple. It's a sort of what counterculture of its time. Yeah. But, and I'll tell you this too. A lot of that, I think now it's more properly branded as outlaw country. Yeah. Was then, right? You talk. Right. To a certain degree, Merle Haggard, Johnny Cash, obviously the Highwaymen, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. they had their influences. Waylon Jennings and all um, this. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Christopherson. And these guys had arguably a lot of the same influences Bruce did. Yeah. Like the, it, it all forms the same. I don't even know what the word is. The same appeal, I yeah. think, for people that it was like untethered freedom with unimaginable guilt. Like, like, how do you live in a world, I think from a perception, how do you live in a world where there's no boundaries except for the ones you put on yourself? And all the ones you put on yourself are not dealing with your own problems. Until you're 60 and you're like, oh my God, I got to do something with this baggage. And I think a lot of that now is a little bit more aggressive and abrasive when we're talking about Shooter Jennings, for example. I don't know, Jelly Roll. And there's even guys in the UK that have adopted similar styles. Rag and Bone Man. Bugsy Malone, yeah, which I, I love it. Not necessarily every song, but the image, the appeal. It's authentic, it's genuine, and it's, at least in my opinion, easier to resonate with because it's it's just more raw, it feels like to me. I absolutely- a lot of those emotions. Right. On, like one of the things I found fascinating when you start studying a little bit of history is the amount of an old classic country, all the murder ballads and the people about killing and I, a long black veil and this things. Yeah. And, and then you flip forward to hip hop. And rap, and they'll there there'll be this discussion of violence and everything, and it's it's just in a different packaging. Yeah. There there is some similar themes to that, the themes of yeah. injustice and tragedy. I I love that. The other thing yeah. that I my latest musical obsession is Jason Isbell. I just adore Jason's Jason music. Jason Isbell. Yeah, I S B E L L. He is called Americana. But basically, think country, southern rock kind of bend. And I, I yeah, really recommend yeah. him. He's he's really good. And he grew up like you did. He and I did. He talks about it in interviews. He he his grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher, so they heard a lot of music. And then his grandfather loved old 
country music. And so he would, and Jason tells the story that he would play with his grandfather. And then as a reward, his grandfather would play the blues with him. And so, yeah, that's, that's really nice. There's a lot of transitions there too, though. You're, right. you're talking blues and then you're talking more classic country, right? And not just steel guitar, but like this, the sound itself, yeah. it's a lot more sad. Yeah. Or from a sadder perspective, even if it's something happy, like I, I don't know what's I'm blanking on a song, but like, I love my wife. Yeah. I'm so happy she's here, but I'm crying while I say it. Sad, happy, like mix. Yeah. And then obviously the blues is all about hurt and pain and, and channeling that into something relatively productive. I, yeah. We're right back at it. it almost exactly, yeah. arguably, for the majority of Bruce's career, like what he was doing. Yeah. And in fact, it, in his autobiography, he talked about that as he was expanding after Born to Run and after Darkness, he started exploring and hearing a lot of country music. And it was the storytelling that appealed to him. And a lot of that shows up in Nebraska because he does a lot of story songs in Nebraska. And you mentioned about blues and the connection. What I was fascinated about when a couple of years ago, Ken Burns did that documentary on country music. I don't know if you've seen it, but yeah, yeah. it, yeah. It was a few parts too. Yeah. And he talked about they had, I think, Bradford Mintz, the the jazz player, I'm drawing a blank on his name, talked about compared a jazz combo to a Texas swing band. And he said each of them took turns playing instrumentals like on a jazz. They were like, okay, we're going to do a we're going to do a cello or a sax solo. This would there be the steel guitar and then the violin. And then they would all take turns playing these solos the same way that a jazz quartet would do and there's a lot of that synergy in the music so when i asked you to be on josh you said it's hard for me to pick one musician and in a lot of ways it's even hard for you to pick one genre just so share a little bit maybe of what music has meant to you and in your career, in the military, and then maybe in your personal life? Everything. Yeah. And that's the most succinct answer you're probably going to get out of me. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. I had, oh man, I was in Okinawa, Japan, and it. <laughs> I think we did it to ourselves in hindsight, but we didn't know any better. It was just hot. It was humid. It was summer. It was monsoon season in Japan specifically in Okinawa, and we're sitting outside the Jungle Warfare Training Center, or at least relatively close proximity, and so it's humid on top of it. And in our barracks building where we were staying, which is just a cinder block dorm building, yeah, we couldn't get it to cool down. Whatever downtime we had outside of running drills outside, we would go to the gym. And so everybody coming in and out, the doors opening and closing, body heat, whatever, in the building, it just got hot. And so everybody opened their windows. But when everybody opened their windows, what AC units there were in there started to condensate on the interior walls of the cinder block dorm. And we literally had to spend hours that morning, late morning, I think it was, squeegeeing the walls in the hallway. And when all that was said and done and everything was damp enough and everybody got yelled at enough and whatever we'd learned, All the windows were closed. I had a buddy that was there and 
he had an acoustic guitar. And so he sat out in the hallway, just sat on the floor, leaned against the wall outside his door, and just started playing the guitar. So I grabbed a couple pillows, and I had a pair of drumsticks. Not anything spectacular, they're pretty shitty pillows, but the sticks were nice. And, and we just, for a little bit, decompressed in the hallway. But nobody talked. It was all instrumental. Nobody sang. It was just notes. But everybody, despite our different perspectives, stress tolerances, thresholds that day, whatever, attitudes, perspectives, nobody needed to. Everybody somehow went back to their own place in that moment. Physically stayed there because we couldn't go anywhere, but yeah, went back to their own place. And that was just instrumental, right? So you talked about storytelling in country music. I'm not the best storyteller, in my opinion, and I'm okay with that. I've made peace with it, right? That's fine. But listening to country music, I agree. Most country songs have pretty solid storylines, if you listen to them. And they're not always about losing something. Oftentimes, especially more recently, they're about finding something. But generally speaking, there's a flow to the story. You know, a lot of Carrie Underwood songs are told really well, I think. Two Black Cadillacs, off the top of my head, if you're familiar, any of your listeners are familiar. Not to give away the ending, but Bruce Willis is dead. Yeah. Check it out. But it flows really well. And there's other songs, too. I mean, there's one off the top of my head. My mom, if she ever hears this, she's going to kill me. He, uh, oh, man, whatever. I, I can't think of it now. So while you're thinking, I, I wanted to, I, by the way, I will disagree with you. I think you're a wonderful storyteller and you painted a picture there. And so I wanted to read some lyrics from Bruce had a song called Mary's Place on the Rising. And part of the lyrics are familiar faces around me. Laughter fills the air. Your loving grace, grace surrounds me. Everybody's here. Furniture's out on the front porch. Music up loud. I dream of you in my arms and I lose myself in the crowd. That sense of community, right? And that always makes me go back to when I was a kid at my grandparents' dairy farm. And at night in the fall, we'd be on the front porch and we'd be shelling peas or shucking corn. We had, they had picked all this and so you needed to freeze the peas or you needed to, and that everyone's on the front porch Everyone's laughing. Everyone's joking. And I picture that you guys all going through that. And it's almost like that scene in Almost Famous where they're on the bus and they start singing that they start singing along to Elton John. But I love the idea. You guys didn't need to sing. You guys just were all there emotionally and spiritually together. Yeah. That's beautiful. And and even when nobody else is there or when nobody else has been there, for that matter. Yeah. I I got another one for you. A buddy of mine, when I was in college, he was a bass player for I don't remember how long they were together, but I'll call them a little garage band. They were called The Seed. And they played. I don't even know how to qualify their genre, but it was rock, right? It was rock grungier. I think more than anything else, maybe a little heavier in some songs. The point being, he was their bass player. That's the point I'm getting at. He enlisted uh, a year, 
two years, two years before I did. He enlisted okay. into the army as a medic. So he went off, he did his thing. And we didn't hear from him. Kind of, what was that guy's name on the sandlot? Vertrum Grover Weeks, okay. the tall guy. Sure. Right? And he just disappears at the end of the movie. Yeah. Because he went off to Vietnam or wherever he went. But anyway, that was Paul. So he just went off. I didn't think anything of it. I didn't really stay in touch with him. He went off, did his army thing. I went to Paris Island, got yelled at for 13 weeks, met a lot of cool people who also got yelled at for 13 weeks. Sure. Had a lot of really cool memories I don't care to relive. And got to my first duty station a few months later in the middle of the Mojave Desert in Southern California. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there in this designated area where everybody was smoking. I didn't smoke at the time. It's where people were, so. We were all sitting there in the smoke pit, and I got a phone call from a buddy of mine, Rob, and he said, hey, man, I don't know if you heard, but Paul's dead. I said, no, I hadn't heard. Like I said, it's only been maybe two years. Sure. And I said, no, I hadn't heard. This was spring 2010 when I got his phone call. I said, no, what happened? And he said that... Paul and his guys were out on a patrol and they were, like I say, he was in the army. So they were in this area, Afghanistan, I think it was, but they were there and they were out on this patrol and they got ambushed. Yeah. And so the soldiers ran out and did their drills and did what they were supposed to do. But unfortunately at the time, and for some time previously, the prevailing tactic was if we shoot at you enough, we know that your vehicle is going to stop and you're either going to shoot back or if it's light enough, you're going to ignore it and keep going, which means it's got to be heavy enough to make you stop. And if we can shoot heavy enough to make you stop and you can't see us from your windows, now you've got to get out. And if we can get you to get out, we can get you. Mm. And if we can't get you, our IEDs will get you. Wow. And so it was almost this corralling fire in this ambush. Yeah. So they shot at the vehicle, vehicle stopped. All the soldiers got out as, like I said, was the drill responding to the tactics. Now they're not in an open desert. They're in this bazaar, this marketplace. It's a farmer's market. Sure. Right. so there's people, there's families, right? And so they get out. Like I said, Paul was a medic. And so as these people are out running around, they're trying to take cover and the soldiers that are there, Obviously, you're trying to do their jobs and also deal with this human factor that's there and deal with whatever dust and smoke and debris and confusion is happening for them as well at rapid pace. And they finally get all of their soldiers, wounded and otherwise, back into the vehicle. And as Paul's one of the last guys to get back in the vehicle, he turns back and one of these kids runs out. So Paul turns back around, sprints to the kid, right? Not to detract from his heroism. It's not like he was disobeying orders here. So he sprints back to take care of the kid. And he gets the kid off back to wherever he had to go out of the way, out of enough harm, at least, given the circumstances. And as he turns back to run towards the vehicle, he runs across the IED that the vehicle drove over and missed. So Paul disappeared. Okay, Paul disappeared. Now, the last concert I saw Paul in the seed playing at 
was at a place called the Orpheum in St. Pete, Florida. It's a tiny little rundown place. But, or at least it was, no offense to them now, but sure. it was. It was a grungy little outfit, right? Yeah. And so they were playing original music. But now, every time I hear grunge music, that's where I go back to. Or he would talk about The Sopranos. That was one of his favorite shows. Every time I see something about The Sopranos or I hear their intro, I go back to Paul. Sure. Right? So what role music has played for me in a group has been pivotal because it's brought me somewhere comfortable when I've been uncomfortable, emotionally, spiritually, behaviorally, physically, whatever. Yeah. But what it's done for me individually is it's grounded me in a space that's, I guess you could say, given me an opportunity to learn who I am and process the world at a pace that I can handle. It's been my escape. I don't read well. Books aren't really my friend. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I don't go to the movies. I'm, all things considered, not a really social creature. Right. right? Um, not to where I'm always willing to be vulnerable. But if there's music, regardless of the setting, it's a lot more freeing of an opportunity for me. That's really just the long answer to say everything is what music has been to me so far. Yeah. In a lot of ways, music is a time. It's a time machine because you hear that song, you hear you're back with in the car driving to see to visit your dad. And you smell the the salt water and you hear another one. You're going back to your mom's house or you're there while she's cooking or doing something. And I, I know it sounds like a cliche, but I know there has to be times when you're deployed. A song made you I I feel like I'm back home for just a moment. I'm not in this faraway place. For just during that song, I'm back home and feeling safe, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you a secret. Yeah. Um, that, I made uh, you, you know, smile. You got... For those of you who are just watching this, <laughs> I made Josh smile. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, a good, it's a good memory. I think a lot of the easy answers are like Born to Run or, yeah. or Back in the USA or, or whatever. Okay, cool. But... To the point you just brought up, I don't even know why it stuck. Whenever I'm driving in the car, even now, that's my go-to if I'm able. Right? If there's a bunch of people in the car, I generally don't turn it up or sing. But if it's me, I will. And it's not good. You can find the videos on TikTok. Some of them are up there, right? Like it's whatever. But I enjoy it. The point is, so I think I got a lot of that from Dad. And there's one, <laughs> one memory that sticks out. We met in a city in Florida called Brooksville. That was about halfway between mom and dad, right? So he picked us up <laughs> in this two-door blazer. And I remember I got to sit up front. My older brother got to sit in the back. I don't know if he got to, but he did. And I got to sit up front. I'm like, all right, I made it in life. And dad turned up the stereo. It's the original stereo, so it's nothing fancy. But turns up the stereo. Only had AM, FM. Didn't have cassette. Didn't have anything to it, right? Turns up the stereo because Elton John was playing Philadelphia Freedom 
And I don't know what it was about the song. I have no idea to this day. But, Dad, if you ever hear this, that particular drive, you turned the radio as loud as it would go and tried to match pitch for pitch Elton as he belted out three and a half minutes of Philadelphia freedom. And maybe it was because of the trauma that happened in that moment. Maybe it was because of the entertainment value. I don't know. But more often than not, that moment, maybe not always Philadelphia freedom, but that moment where I just saw somebody, he's been a blue collar worker his entire life, worked in plumbing and irrigation, and he's just this gnarled, grizzled, lobster claw, oak tree of a guy now. But then I saw this guy for three and a half minutes belt out pitch for pitch Philadelphia freedom with Elton fucking John. And it was just something about that, that every time since then, I start to feel like, God, maybe I'm stuck in this moment and I'm just taking this too seriously, or I need to take a step back for a second. It's Elton John and Philadelphia Freedom. That's that's where I end up. Yeah. I have a similar memory. We were living really? in my grandparents' older home, right? Okay. All right. And my, I, I, can't remember i believe my dad was still in germany and my and i would i could look up the time when this happened i could probably figure it out but i know my mom we were living in my grandparents old house they had built a new house and so we had their old house and i remember her turning up charlie pride's kiss an angel good morning just as loud as she could and just singing it and going he's back baby he's back just (laughs) thrilled and every time i hear that song i think of my mom so happy so joyous and often we see our parents beaten down by bills kids their bosses taking care of a house doing all the things that adults and to see them when they just that moment i can see that blazer i can see young josh watching john just blare out philadelphia freedom his eyes closed yeah there yeah yeah it's a it's a different kind of thing. And now I hold a lot of those types of memories in pretty high regard. Keith Urban's got a song. I think it's called A Song for Dad. Yeah. And in there, he, he talks about how his kids or something like that, other people didn't get to meet his dad. Yeah. But he's finding as he's getting older that he's doing a lot of the things his dad did. And yes. through those experiences for other people, they are getting to meet him. And I think that's a lot about what's really cool for music. Yeah. Like I said, it doesn't even have to have words. And it doesn't even have to be in the same culture. No. Because everybody understands resonance. Yeah. You know, it was what Nikola Tesla, I think, mm-hmm. who said, if you want to understand the universe, you need to understand frequency and vibration. Yeah. And every music theorist is going to know consonance and dissonance. And in my opinion, that's all rhythm happens to be. 
you know, so finding a frequency that resonates with different people, for that matter, you could be one songwriter, you could be one artist, and maybe sometimes the same person. Well, let me ask you this, Jesse, how does Taylor Swift get 100 million people to just follow her? Right. Or however many she's got, right? Once you find the note, once you find the thing that drives people emotionally, the world's yours. Like it's so much easier to deal with this human factor of going through life and build unity and cohesion and respect and civility. I don't know that there's a lot of Swifties getting into fights. Yeah. One of my favorite stories I read is a writer named Mark Evanier. He was he's written comic books. He was very active in the Garfield comic, the the cartoon show. And he actually worked one year on Welcome Back Carter way back then. Mark has just done all kinds of writing. And he said he was dating someone in Vegas and he was there to visit her. And she says, hey, I have a ticket for a show tonight, but you have to say yes before I tell you who it is. And he's okay. Yeah, I'll go. She's okay. It's for Barry Manilow. He's like, I don't care. I sure I'll love to go see Barry Manilow. And so he went and he said it was a great show. And but he said there was a couple he was talking to beforehand explaining that they fell in love to Barry's music and that they played one of his songs at his wedding and they just do. And Mark said, I'm not a musician, but hearing someone tell that story would mean more to me than all the Grammys in the world. And he went on to say that a lot of his friends who are musicians will show disdain about Barry Manilow. They're like, oh, it's easy. He just does it. It's just so easy. He's just, it's just simple. And Mark says, I want to go. I really admire your fortitude that it would be that easy. You could make millions of dollars, but instead you go, no, I don't want to do the easy way to make millions of dollars. And Taylor Swift or Bruce Springsteen or Beyonce or whoever you want, if they strike a chord to us, and they help us know more about ourselves and our fellow travelers in this world. And yeah. I think you've well, articulated like, what music means a lot, sharing your stories. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. It's like before reality TV, I don't know how many people hearing this were alive before then, but before yeah. reality TV, we had sitcoms. Yeah. And they weren't reruns. They were the sitcoms. They were the shows, right? Full House, Family Matters, Fresh Prince, I don't know, Cheers. Yeah. And they didn't do anything spectacular. If anything, they did the simple stuff really well. Yes. And I'm taking out all the audio claps and all the extra yeah. stuff that was just editing. But like the, the performance, yeah. the encapsulation of humanity in such a benign and subtle way that everybody who watches the show gets it. Now, you may not like it, but you get it. Yeah. Frazier is another one. He's back now. Yeah, right? I saw that. Yeah. I'm excited about it. I like the show, but I am too. I'm excited. I was really sad because you were talking about him. The Wonder Years were all those years. And then 
over the past couple of years, they did a Wonder Year set in with an African-American family at the same time period and doing the same kind of thought. And it was just so universal. There's there, there was that time. And I agree. I grew up with that where you watch that. And even though you can say there were things like I never, I grew up in a house. We never put food on the table. The food was on the sink, was on the kit, on the stove. You took your plate, you made your plate, then you sat down. I was yeah. in, I graduated high school the first time I ever went to anyone's house where they put the food on the table like TV. And I was like, really? People really do that? I just thought that's what <laughs> TV people did. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah. And there's a lot of stuff like that, right? Yeah. Where, man, I, okay, until I was... 14 years old, I couldn't leave the driveway if we were at mom's house. I couldn't leave the driveway without mom being outside. 14 years old. At dad's house, I don't think I could have been back to the driveway if dad was outside, arguably at most any age. Yeah. Go out, go climb a tree, go do stuff, go, go away, right? In a good way different time obviously but yeah and you see some of those dichotomies play out in sitcoms that you just wouldn't they were foreign to me full house for example for anybody listening to this if you're familiar with full house dj was the oldest daughter and she had this high school boyfriend well so all these people that lived in the house that made it full let her go out with this guy he wore the letterman jacket he was the football player whatever and I thought, oh, my God, like she can come and go without people giving her a hard time. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Or he just walks into her house without talking to her dad first. Whoa. Yeah. And it was such a weird thing until I grew up a little bit and realized it wasn't. I don't think I even saw MTV or VH1 until I was in high school. We didn't have cable at the time up until then. So yeah. that made it difficult. But also because it was what was the word inappropriate? I think yeah. is what I was told. And, but that's just how it goes growing up. And now, man, good luck. Yeah. I think even, I'll tell you this, I think even the role of a parent has changed where we can't protect anymore. I don't think that's really the point. Maybe it never was, but in my opinion, we can't protect anymore. We've got to teach how to interpret or give options how to interpret and build perspective because it's not that it's unsafe. Yeah. It's just maybe inappropriate at that point in time when music changes that because now to a point you can get the dirtiest grungiest i don't know what thrash metal song i'm not convinced there's much of a place for that because i can't understand it's just not my wheelhouse right or what is this mumble rap or some of these other rap styles now it's just not my thing so i don't understand it's it just doesn't sit with me right so i avoid some of those but it's not that I only play country music or I only play rock or I play reggae or pick a genre. Otherwise, whenever I'm around my son for the sake of passing down, hey, here's what dad grew up listening to. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Conversely, these are the themes. This is what we were exposed to. This is what you can do with that information. This is what it can do for you when you need it. Not that you've got to like the style all the time. Yeah. Teaching more critical thought around some music, I think, is important, too. And it's evergreen. It really is. Yeah. Man, Josh, this was so much fun. 
I, I feel like we just got started and I, we didn't even get to touch on your podcast. So at least for a couple of minutes, tell us about the podcast. And if someone wants to reach you, how can they? All right. I, I appreciate the opportunity, man. This conversation was great. I love talking about music. I am not yeah. musically inclined. Right. I'm musically appreciative. Appreciative. Right. Saying that, though, I do appreciate the opportunity. Now, when it comes to transacting value, I mentioned everything over the course of this conversation that music has done for me. And one of the things that I've learned as a result of relying on music and being able to travel the world and meet all these people of different cultures in terms of communication and interpersonal relationships and civility and respect, the only thing, in my opinion, that we all have in common is that we rely on a value system to make our decisions. And that may ultimately affect our self-worth and self-esteem. That may affect the depth of our interpersonal relationships or the ability to communicate effectively in whatever situation, but we all have it. And the character that we become as a result of our decisions and those values always grows for better or worse, but it always grows. And that's what transacting values about. How to reinvigorate self-worth, deepen interpersonal relationships, have conversations that actually involve civics and respect and humanity. We, we've had themes on the show about mitigating burnout, establishing boundaries, fostering senses of community and belonging around managing stressors, right? But all of those things, as the host, I tie into explicitly value systems. And so the practical applications of personal values is what I attempt to showcase each conversation. It's interview-based on transacting value. And so that's every Monday morning at 9 a.m. That's Eastern time. And on our website, transactingvaluepodcast.com, streaming everywhere. Uh, every other podcast is uh, playing right now as well. And all over social, primarily on Facebook is where most everything goes. I've started recently putting some stuff on TikTok. I've got a couple things on YouTube and even more recently than that, LinkedIn as well. So anywhere people want, search Transacting Value Podcast and it'll come up. Very nice, Josh. All right. Yeah. Before I get you out of here, I got to ask you the Mary question. For yeah. those of you who are checking out the podcast because you're a fan of Josh and the Transacting Value Podcast. I end every podcast with a Mary question. What that is, Jay Armstrong, which, by the way, has a new book out. He is a former high school English teacher. And when he was teaching, he would give his class the lyrics to Bruce Springsteen's Thunder Road. He would have them study them, read them, talk about the themes Bruce explores, talk about the choice of words. And then he would ask his class at the end of their session, does Mary get in the car? So Josh, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I took this from two perspectives and I'll okay. keep this brief. No, you don't have to. Is there even a car or is it all analogous? And for the record, I tend to be more literal than poetic. My answer to that is pretty shallow. But if there's not a car, and if you're unfamiliar with Thunder Road, it's a place, right? But despite this car being all beaten down and all these other things, and obviously all the boyfriends you've had and issues you've had in your life, Mary, give me a chance is essentially the song, right? Uh, I'm rough, I'm rugged, but I can take care of you vibe. And if there's not a car, and it's just Bruce and Mary. I think she bites. 
Okay. I think she deals with her past and the nostalgia and the guilt or whatever self-help he's seeming to offer. I think she does. I think she takes him up on it. If there is a car, no. I don't think she gets in the car. Okay. I think because in between the two cases, he makes the effort to step out and help her as a person to person. Like right. we both have our issues, like we're same but different. I think she responds favorably. But to get her to leave where she's found comfort and to leave where she's nestled in her own funk of guilt and issues and whatever, no, I don't think she's ready to leave it. And so if there is a car, I don't think she got in. I That's a great answer. I, I do think, in fact, that was Jay's, one of Jay's original when he was on the podcast and we talked about it he talked about that you it's scary to make a choice it's safer not to right you have to make that choice to cross that porch open that door and make a choice and it's safer to just stay where you are and so he thought she didn't get in either that she chose that she's too afraid. So I love your answer. I love that. That's a great answer. Josh, this was so much fun. I, I, we got to do it again. We just sure. got to figure out another excuse to talk because this was a blast. How about, how about next time you come on my show? You got it. That sounds perfect. Right. We'll do it. Let's do that. All right. Listeners, go check out the podcast. I will include links in the show notes. Think about that. Think about the songs and the memories that you've gotten. I bet you there is. I bet you there is a memory of your someone significant in your life, be it an uncle, an aunt, a mom, or a dad, an older brother, older sister. And I'd love to hear those stories. Set lustingbruce at gmail.com. All right, Josh, thank you so much. Listeners, take care, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better.
Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Fed Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.